Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.03 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Good Lord, I can't even remember what the hell time it is. It is the fifth day of July. It's the day after Independence Day 2023. And this is episode 750 of Bitcoin. And I'm back, baby. I'm back from vacation. God, oh, what a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous place. Um, if you were following me as I was posting over the last couple of weeks on Noster, uh, you saw several pictures and or videos of various things that I was engaged in. Mostly I was taking pictures of mountains, lakes, streams, you you know, stuff that's in the San Juan Mountains. And what's important to note is that if eh, a lot of these times that I was posting, I would send along a uh, link to the vacation, was it Verbo, Vacation Rental by Owner uh, website. The house that we stay in is owned by myself and my sister and uh, my stepmother. Um, and we decided a long time ago that uh, if we want to keep that house, we need to rent it rent it out when we're you know not staying there because otherwise it's just I mean the the electricity cost in the winter alone is is horrible. It's just just terrible. And if we wanted to keep it, we were going to rent it out. And we've been you know, kind of successful so far. But what it dawned on me that I had not been telling anybody, you know, in this community about about this house. So all the pictures that I was taking were literally within a two hour radius of that house. Eighty percent of everything that I showed was literally in the same valley. Like all the streams, most of the mountains you saw, like if you saw like 13,000 foot peaks yeah, that's all in the backyard of this particular house. You can go on a lake. You can go fishing. You can go rent ATVs. You can go all over. the Man, Mesa Verde is like an hour and a half away. If you want to go see the cliff dwellings of the ancients uh, called the Anasazi, it's all there, right? So if you were getting tired of me posting the link going, oh, man, you're just a commercial son of a bitch. Well, you know, too bad. You know, we still live in a world that that requires us to pay for food, rent, electricity, mortgages, car payments, okay? So, but more than that is that there's this little valley this called Viacito in southwest Colorado. That's where this house is. And there's a whole community of people that live there full time. And I would love nothing more if more Bitcoiners started showing up not just to rent the house, but for Bitcoiners to be on the ground out there and fall in love with this place like I have. I've been going to this place for over well over 35 years, right? And I, I just don't want to go anywhere else. And I want as many Bitcoiners as I can get to get out there and start asking like the marina guys, hey, can I rent this boat with Bitcoin? Can I do, I'll teach you how to do lightning payments. Nothing would make me happier if I went back next summer and saw Bitcoin Accepted Here posters in local businesses. Now, all that aside, let's get back into the news. God knows I've missed a lot. I'm, I haven't even talked about the BlackRock thing. If it comes up in the news again, I, I'll, I'll talk about it then. But there's no reason to rehash that stuff. So we're just going to, it's like we're just going to start with today, July the 5th. Better money for better journeys. How Bitcoin has improved the way I travel. Speaking of traveling and vacationing and vacation houses, we have Hodling Carla from BitcoinMagazine.com writing this one. Few things get me as excited as visiting a new corner of the world. 
and my passport can attest to that. I've visited 45 countries, lived in nine, and covered all continents except Antarctica. After years of globetrotting, I thought that part of my life would have been over by now, but just when I began to feel the desire to settle down and set roots, something happened. I discovered Bitcoin. My life then was radically changed. Not only has it transformed my worldview, but it's also reignited a fire in me to keep moving and seek out people who have gone through the same awakening. Combining my passion for adventure and hard money, I've recently begun to focus on visiting emerging Bitcoin circular economies across the globe. From helping me save time and money to making me feel more protected and connected with the people I meet along the way, using Bitcoin has been a game changer for my travel experiences. In this piece, I discuss how Bitcoin has helped me fix common money issues known to travelers everywhere and how it's made my journeys more special in multiple ways. If I had a sat for every time I had to deal with payment-related issues in a foreign country, I'd have a big enough stack to make Michael Saylor jealous. Whether it was finding a currency exchange with decent rates, looking for a store that accepted my cards, or calling my bank to resolve credit card issues, I've wasted so much time on these problems that just thinking about them frustrates me. In a few scenarios, it's even resulted in the disruption of my itinerary and a significant dose of anxiety as when it happened during a trip to a remote island in the Philippines in 2015. Though I had a great time, it wasn't long before I found myself running out of cash with no ATMs and no currency exchange offices in the area. Ultimately, I was saved by the only Western Union office in town when it finally opened two days after my crisis began. Had the locals and I known about Bitcoin then, my journey would have gone as planned, and my stress levels would have remained stable the entire time. Fast forward eight years, and I returned to the Philippines, but this time, my experience with money matters was much better. Why? Because I chose the island of Boracay, also known as Bitcoin Island, as my destination. Thanks to the many merchants now accepting Philippine pesos via the Bitcoin Lightning Network Rail, I was able to deal with all payments digitally. This prevented me from wasting time dealing with cash, ATMs, and currency exchange offices, and allowed me to do more of what I wanted to do. You know, enjoy the island. Bitcoin has helped me save time. As a backpacker, I was always very conscious of my budget. Street food, hostels, and overnight bus rides were my bread and butter, but one thing I could never avoid was those unwanted and often unexpected expenses that came along with the territory. Think of credit card fees, which in Guatemala can cost up to 10%, and ATM fees, which in Thailand can amount to $6 per withdrawal for foreign bank cards plus your bank fees. Even currency exchange rates are costly, as I have found that they generally charge 10% for their services. These small numbers may not seem like much, but they add up quickly, which means a lot for somebody traveling on a budget. But that has never been an issue when visiting Bitcoin communities. That's because the only fees involved in Bitcoin payments are transaction costs, which are often negligible or non-existent. And I've also enjoyed the benefits beyond these hotspots, as many businesses nowadays offer a discount if you pay in Bitcoin. If you've ever bought tickets to a Bitcoin conference, you might know what I'm talking about, so Bitcoin has helped me save money. Whenever I share tales of my solo adventures, the topic of safety always comes up. While street smarts and wise decisions have helped avoid real danger, I've had to deal with a different kind of unpleasantness multiple times. Fraud. In Vietnam, I got scammed by a taxi driver with fake Vietnamese dong notes. In Bali, my travel card was cloned, and I only found out when the culprits tried to withdraw money in the middle of the night. To this day, I have no idea how they did it. And I've lost track of how many times I felt my heart racing while using an ATM in a questionable location or at odd hours of day or night and walking away with three days worth of cash in my bag. Navigating exclusively on Bitcoin eliminates all of those concerns for me. And it makes perfect sense. When you're not dealing with cash, ATMs or credit cards, your risks are minimized and your peace of mind is maximized. My only goal is keeping my phone safe, even though if I lose it, I can still access my funds by recovering my wallet on a new device. That's why it's important to back up your seed phrase, people. Bitcoin has enhanced my safety. Poverty. 
Weakening currencies and countless unbanked individuals are some of the biggest afflictions that developing companies face, countries face today. Call it selfish or exaggerated, but paying locals for their goods and services in Bitcoin feels more rewarding than giving them, you know, pieces of paper that are guaranteed to lose value. During a visit to Bitcoin Lake in Guatemala, for instance, it was wonderful to see how many merchants in the local market accepted Bitcoin. It allowed them to attract more customers, make more sales, and prompted more conversations about the significant changes they've gone through since using Bitcoin as money. Being able to pay hardworking people in Bitcoin feels more authentic and makes for a more memorable exchange and bonding experience. It renders tourism more meaningful and worth all the time and effort that goes into planning a trip to these unique places around the world. Bitcoin has made my travels more meaningful. Needless to say, my travel experience hasn't been the same since I discovered Bitcoin. Understanding money and its profound effects on every aspect of our lives has significantly changed the way I look at the world and walk through life everywhere I go. As an avid wanderer, I want to see more places embrace Bitcoin in the future. It will help empower the communities, boost the economies, and attract attention of Bitcoiners like myself who will want to encourage and support them in any way they can. So there you go. All this is, you know, clearly travel related. Uh, I was just coming off of talking about Aspenwood and the rental house up in uh, San Juan Mountains. And it's that, like I said, it's like, you know, one of the things that I would really like to see is for more Bitcoiners to go into that valley and spread down into Durango and into, you know, some of the local vendors that are outside north of Durango. My two favorite places are Honeyville and like the James Ranch and the James Ranch is it's it's a family ranch. It's God. It's been around for decades. Oh my! I, I mean, maybe even a hundred years. I'm not exactly sure on that number, but it's this huge ranch that's out in the valley, on the way up to Silverton, Colorado, which is also relatively beautiful. However, watch out for Silverton because it's a complete tourist trap. But still, it, the mountains are are gorgeous. Be that as it may, James Ranch sells like all their own beef. Uh, pork. They have their own chicken. They do it in a regenerative fashion. You, you can go see this place. You know, I, it's the, the the whole go shake your rancher's hand. You don't have to be living in the place to go shake your rancher's hand. You can go to the San Juan Mountains and go to James Ranch and shake that rancher's hand. And they're, by the way, their grass-fed beef is freaking awesome, by the way. So just just remember, man, as we think about traveling, we honestly should think about spreading Bitcoin as we go, asking, do you take Bitcoin? You know, like trying to solve problems with these things when you're not at home. So anyway, now let's get on to this one. BitGo added support for Taproot Music too on Bitcoin Hot Wallets. As much as I'm not a big fan of Mike Belshi, applause is in order. Uh, no bullshit Bitcoin NoBSBitcoin.com has it. The launch of Taproot Music 2 on BitGo wallets marks an important milestone in enhancing efficiency, reducing fees, and improving privacy for Bitcoin transactions, said the company in a blog post. By leveraging the benefits of Schnorr signatures and Merkleized script trees, BitGo is able to offer a seamless and secure two of three hot wallet experience without compromising on fees or functionality. Right now, Taproot Music 2 addresses are available for dedicated wallets. Please contact BitGo Support to enable Taproot Music 2 for a dedicated wallet. These dedicated wallets will provide Taproot Music 2 addresses by default, both for receiving and change. While Taproot Music 2 addresses bring significant fee savings and enhance privacy, it is important to note that not all wallets currently support sending funds to these addresses. In the coming weeks, Taproot Music 2 will become available on all BitGo hot wallets by specifying chain codes 40 or 41 when creating new addresses. In the coming months, Taproot Music 2 addresses will become the default change address type for all hot wallets, said the blog post. (coughs) So again... Mike Belshi and BitGo, not one of my 
favorite Bitcoin companies by any stretch of the imagination. Why? Because Mike Belshi signed the New York agreement, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to rehash any of that. However, they do seem to act. I don't know. Maybe Mike Belshi learned a lesson. Maybe he's going to actually be a Bitcoiner now. Who knows? We'll have, we'll just have to see. But again, as normal, better fish to fry. Should you orange pill children? The case for Bitcoin Kids Books. This is Cointelegraph written by Sierra Lyons. Any kid who doesn't learn something about Bitcoin is missing out, says Bitcoin advocate Ben DeWall. DeWall explains that his 12-year-old daughter, Samantha, has already convinced a couple of her schoolmates and a teacher to hop on the Bitcoin bandwagon, though she's not attempting to orange pill the entire school yet. Thanks to her upbringing in the Bitcoin family that has largely abandoned fiat currency, Sam is now a Bitcoin ambassador uh, ambassador wonderkin nicknamed the Bitcoin Kid. DeWall himself discovered Bitcoin around 2010 and dedicated his life to it around 2016. Sadly, after he deleted 200 Bitcoin. Oh, God. He has worked in engineering leadership positions at both Swan Bitcoin and Lightning Labs and explains he first introduced Sam to children's books about Bitcoin when she was just 10 years old. Just after two years, uh, she read her first Bitcoin book. Sam found herself on the grand stage of BTC Prague 2023 in mid-June delivering a speech about Bitcoin. Oh, and she had to follow MicroStrategies, Michael Saylor, uh, MicroStrategies, Michael Saylor's presentation as well. Seems like she nailed it, though. She was, quote, the best speaker at the conference, according to Peter McCormick, the host of the incredibly popular podcast, What Bitcoin Did. It's her second big conference experience or appearance following a presentation at Adopting Bitcoin in 2022. Adults shouldn't feel bad, though. Kids have a natural advantage when it comes to understanding and learning about Bitcoin. Scott Sibley, co-author of the children's books or book Goodnight Bitcoin, believes this is because Kids haven't really latched on to a specific form of currency yet. Quote, in many ways, it's easier for kids to learn about Bitcoin because they don't have the baggage of thinking it's new or different. Goodnight Bitcoin is an origin tale recounting how Satoshi Nakamoto created Bitcoin and sent the first Bitcoin to Hal Finney. Goodnight Bitcoin tells the story of Satoshi and Hal as they attempt to create the impossible, a new money called Bitcoin, Sibley says. It brings children through various stages of the Bitcoin story. The book touches on the perception that many had toward Bitcoin when it was first introduced, stating that, quote, many monsters thought it was impossible and very funny, end quote. Also lightly touching on how the Bitcoin network operates, the book explains, quote, in 2011, Satoshi slipped away to his hidden shelter. But don't worry, the helpers have kept the Bitcoin network running. <laughs> Another Bitcoin kid book, author Graeme Moore, B is for Bitcoin, believes that kids who are exposed to Bitcoin today will find it easier to form their own opinions about it later in life. Quote, if it's a thing that's been around forever, you know, like since you were born, then you have a lot more confidence in pursuing it as a legitimate endeavor for a number of years, Moore says. This is evident with Sam, who's been exposed to Bitcoin throughout her entire life. She even accidentally orange-pilled her own school teacher. Quote, her teacher said to me, hey, I learned some basics from your daughter, but you know, what is this Bitcoin? Can you tell me more about this? DeWall recalls. Sam is mainly interested in reading allegory books with a hidden message. Two of her favorite books so far are Bitcoin Money, A Tale of Bitville Discovering Good Money, a story that explores different types of money and helps kids tackle the why Bitcoin question, and 99 Bitcoins, and An Elephant, a tale of a young girl lost in a huge department store that becomes flush with Bitcoin. DeWall says that while these books don't necessarily teach her all the fundamentals about Bitcoin, they firmed up her knowledge and made it clearer. The real question is, does introducing kids to Bitcoin early via children's books help create the next generation of Bitcoiners? And is it education or a form of indoctrination? While there are no guarantees that simply reading books about Bitcoin to children will lead them to grace the stage at BTC Prague, Bitcoiner parents see benefits to be gained from plant, planting the seed early. The authors that mag <clears throat> sorry the authors that magazine speak to and they're talking about 
magazine by Cointelegraph. That's what they say by magazine. The authors that magazine speak to believe that getting kids familiar with the word Bitcoin and teaching them a few basic concepts is a good base of knowledge for further exploration. Moore explains that brand new technologies do not really take off until they are accepted as inevitable. There are kids now who were born in 2009 and they've never been alive without blockchain, Moore says. Now I'm pausing to say that that's my daughter and my son. My daughter was born in October of 2009 and my son was born well well after 2009. My children have never known a day without this. Think about that. I mean, I think about that quite a bit, but let's, let's continue. Bitcoin has always existed since they were born. So they assume they will always exist to the end of time. End quote. Moore admits that children will not learn a ton about the mechanics of Bitcoin from his book, but there are some funny rhymes in the book that introduce larger concepts. Like, quote, C is for consensus that the blockchain brings. D is for decentralization of all the things, he quotes from B is for Bitcoin. Drawing inspiration from Dr. Seuss, his favorite author ever, Moore understands how powerful it is to instill certain words and ideas into children from a young age. He says that diving into all the nitty-gritty technical stuff isn't necessary. Quote, kids don't have to know how proof of work actually works and how the difficulty adjustment makes it secure and why the blockchain is immutable, Moore explains. The book has become a hit within the Bitcoin community with Moore occasionally waking up to a big order. Quote, like a couple of people in Bitcoin, they call me randomly and be like, hey, I need 20 copies and I'll be like, cool, that's awesome. End quote. A famous billionaire Bitcoin investor even requested a stack of copies. Quote, Tim Draper bought 10 copies from me at one time, more gleefully recalls. However, not all believe shoving Bitcoin down children's throats is a good idea. Jason Dawn, author of Rhyming Bitcoin, has a similar belief to more on just introducing the broad topic to kids and says it's important to simply open their minds to the possibilities that Bitcoin offers. Quote, oh, sorry, no, not quote. Rhyming Bitcoin has a similar style to Alice in Wonderland and Dr. Seuss books, gently easing children down the Bitcoin rabbit hole in a fun and playful way. While it doesn't tackle the technical details of how Bitcoin was created, it focuses more on the why. The book doesn't shy away from taking a few playful jabs at fiat currency, proclaiming that dollars, like rocks, don't mean much, and gently introducing them to inflation. And... Sorry, and gently introducing them to inflation in a passive-aggressive way. Oh, that's great. Quote, the silly state prints dollars all day and all night. They keep printing dollars and prices take flight, the book declares. Quote, I just think it's important that children understand that money isn't just what the government says it is and that anyone should be able to use whatever money they like, end quote. Sibley believes that children don't have the ability to think fiat is weird yet, but he's confident that hearing these stories with an underlying message now will come in handy later in life. Quote, I have no doubt that as they get older, they will wonder why people had cash, went to banks. No different than people in their 20s and 30s today find writing a check so odd. The simple lessons conveyed in these books can serve as a foundation for children to engage in the chinwag with their schoolmates, allowing them to develop their understanding even further. DeWall says Sam is, quote, pretty good at actually kind of talking about Bitcoin to other kids and explaining what is Bitcoin, why does Bitcoin exist. She reads the Bitcoin money book to the class, and, you know, there were a lot of questions which came out of that, which was great, end quote. Interest in Bitcoin kids' books is much higher during bull markets than bear markets. Well, of course it is. Quote, the sales of Bitcoin kids' books perfectly track the price of Bitcoin, says Moore, adding that he can forecast his earnings several months in advance just by looking at the price. Quote, two to three months after the coin price goes up, there's more frequent sales. And then when the price goes down, you know, there's a lot less sales. It's not necessarily a lucrative idea, though, and authors often do it as a labor of love rather than as a money-making scheme. For example, Don doesn't have a marketing team and relies on Bitcoiners and Twitter sharing photos of you know the book to help grow the book's audience. Sibley explains that the majority of his sales are 
to people already in the Bitcoin space that have or are starting families and sees those embracing alternative approaches to education as a potential audience. Quote, we anticipate more homeschooling families gravitating toward Bitcoin education, but that will take some time. Similar to how Bitcoin requires time for mainstream adoption, the books for children are still a fair bit away from topping the charts anytime soon. One of the most popular Bitcoin kid books sold on Amazon is Bitcoin Money, a tale of Bitville discovering good money by Michael Karras and Marina Yakubivaska, I think is how you pronounce it, which has more than 250 reviews and an average rating of 4.6, which is really good. My first step in crypto and Bitcoin investing for kids and beginners simplified introduction for, for, of cryptocurrencies for dummies by Sweet Smart Books and Kelly Rhodes is another hot product for Bitcoiners with 95 reviews and an average rating of 4.2. But their success is relative. Mainstream kids books such as I Love You to the Moon and Back by Amelia Hepworth and Where the Wild Things by Maurice Sendick have 66,000 and 33,000 ratings respectively. Holy crap. The motivation behind creating a Bitcoin children's book for many authors seems to originate from the desire to share their passions and beliefs with their offspring. It is not uncommon for children's books that tackle political or ideological concepts to be inspired by a desire from the author to communicate their beliefs to their own children. For example, Ibram X. Kendi wrote anti-racist baby to share his views on race and racism with his four-year-old daughter. He said in an interview with the Los Angeles Times that the idea was to open up the conversation with parents and little children about racism before they even understand it. Quote, the idea is that when they're older, they will have heard so much about it, it won't be anything mysterious or taboo. Similar books include A is for Activist by Insanto Nagata, which explores social justice and promotes LGBT equality through playful illustrations and add a twist scientist by Andrea Beatty, which challenges traditional gender roles through witty writing and creative drawings while anti-racist activists and Bitcoiners all see teaching their beliefs to their kids as education opponents may view it as indoctrination DeFi dad a popular crypto podcaster and influencer with over 152,000 Twitter followers tells magazine he has refrained from exposing his two young children to Bitcoin kids books and would be cautious to do so anytime soon. Quote, as a parent, despite how bullish I am on crypto, it would I would still be cautious of any Bitcoin kid book until I read them myself to verify they are objectively educational and not some form of propaganda. End quote. Even if the book's present themselves to be educational, he believes that these books should be complementary to children's education about fiat currencies and not replace any such books. Quote, in the United States, I would bet that more than 99% of children are not exposed to any form of education on fiat or basic finance, he says, adding that there was a real lack of financial literacy as a result. DeWall explains that while he introduced Sam to reading books about Bitcoin and is running a Bitcoin family, he's okay if she decides to go her own way too. Quote, maybe one day she'll come to me and say, hey, dad, you know, I think Bitcoin is terrible. I'll say, okay, tell me why, you know, explain to me why, and we'll discuss this. I'm not going to just say you're wrong, In quote. The authors have the best intentions, however. <clears throat> Moore says that he wrote B is for Bitcoin for his young niece in mind, wanting to have something special to read for her. Sibley explains that as a family with a then infant, he wanted to expose her to Bitcoin before she could even walk. Quote, we wanted to be able to make it easier for her to be able to jump down the Bitcoin rabbit hole as early as possible. For Don, who is not a parent, the motivation behind writing the book was because he found most so-called entry-level book Bitcoin books too complicated for beginners. Quote, Bitcoin can be daunting, difficult to explain, and even more difficult to wrap your mind around, end quote. One day I was reading a so-called beginner book, and it really wasn't for beginners. So I thought, why not try to create a beautifully illustrated book that would appeal to people of all ages? Something to ease people into the rabbit hole, and that explains why Bitcoin is so important. Despite not having a child of his own to test the book on, he was able to recruit his mate's kids. 
Quote, I was able to send the manuscript and illustrations to a number of friends with children for feedback, which I think proved incredibly helpful, he says. Dawn asserts that while there is a market for children books about Bitcoin, publishing houses are hesitant to take on the risk. He sent the manuscript and illustrations for rhyming Bitcoin to a publishing agent that he has a relationship with, but they question how profitable the book would actually be. Quote, the feedback in terms of marketability wasn't great. Rather than fight an uphill battle there, I opted for more control through self-publishing. Moore also opted for self-publishing, as he was reluctant to lose massively on sales on the back end. Although he acknowledges the advantage of getting your $200,000 advance through traditional publishing, he argues that relying on a publisher means betting less on yourself and forfeiting long-term rewards. He draws a parallel to the arrangement, similar to being an employee rather than owning your own business. Moore says the feedback has been great besides those Bitcoin maxis who weren't too thrilled about the inclusion of a non-Bitcoin currency. Quote, so a few people who just wanted to be Bitcoin strictly, you know, Bitcoin maxis, of course, they weren't huge fans that E was for Ethereum. No, I wouldn't. Uh, no, that screw that. <laughs> Whatever. But overall, the feedback has been positive with many parents happy that they can share their love of Bitcoin with their offspring. Quote, it's being able to share something that you love with your kids while teaching them how to read. That's been the really heartwarming feedback that I want. While it may be tempting for Bitcoin maximalists to orange pill their child as young as possible, Sibley says that it's better to take baby steps when introducing Bitcoin to children. He says, quote, if there are ways... You can work in little lessons throughout the day when things are happening. That will probably stick the best, end quote. Sibley explains that integrating Bitcoin into everyday life, along with reading books, is the best approach. Quote, there was a service light on in our car that our daughter noticed one day and asked what it was. I explained to her how people have jobs fixing cars and that ours might need to have something done to it, but that would cost money. Then she asked if we would pay in Bitcoin, which shows how she is already thinking about transactions for value. All right, so that's the end of the article. I want to, there's a few things here that I want to talk about. One is the potential of indoctrination. As much as you might love whatever X that you're in love with, it's possible that you can end up not as much teaching about something as indoctrinating somebody about something. Um, the way that I have really done this is... Um, with my two kids is they listen to Bitcoin podcasts with me every time that they're in the car, because that's what I listen to. I honestly understand that I should be listening to way more music than I, than I do now. Cause I used to, that's all I would listen to in the car was just like rush Zeppelin Floyd, you know, I mean all the great super tramp, you know, all the, all the great big bands, you know, from, especially from, from my day, I'm, I'm not a big fan of a lot of the music that's coming out lately, but be that as it may, I probably need to start listening to more music again, but I'm not, I'm listening to Bitcoin podcasts and I'm also not going to shy away from the fact that the people that make these podcasts are adults with adult problems and they use adult language. And I'm just, I'm just I'm not. I'm not going to do that where I'm covering my kids' ears and I'm covering my kids' eyes and, because I'm just presenting them with, you know, a real world in a fake way. But ever since they were itty-bitty babies, they've been listening to, like, they started, they literally started out with Ansel Linder and Bitcoin and Markets podcast. And I think he's still, I think he's still doing that podcast um, but still, An you know, Ansel was in my kids' ears for a long time. And in fact, my, I was, was it my daughter or my son? I think it was my son. Um, I recorded him saying something about Bitcoin and I sent it to Ansel back in the day and he put it on the podcast and it was great. It was, you know, it was like, it was, I heard my son's voice on somebody's podcast before I was started even doing Bitcoin and so it's, it's it's a difficult proposition when it comes to books and have them listening to podcasts. Am I indoctrinating them or am I just getting them used to the language? Now, in the way that I think about it, I think it's simply getting them used to the language, getting them used to what, you know, word, you know, phrases like proof of work, uh, things like decentralization, things like fiat currency. But along with all this, 
how come there's not any children's books straight up about fiat currency and what it has become? Because you kind of can't understand a thing until you understand the problem that that thing is either solving, trying to solve, or potential has the potential to solve. If I just start yammering on about Bitcoin, that makes me sound crazy. If I start yammering on only about how fiat currency has become what it's become, a little less crazy, but still, there's going to be a lot of people that are going, dude, you're tinfoil hatter, bro. Stop that. Taken together, though, and it has to be done very delicately, and we're all still learning how to do that, it becomes a, more of a corpus of being able to say, look, there's a problem and here's a potential solution. And so far, it's the best one that we've got, the best one that we found. And many of us think that it's that we've cracked the egg. We, we, we finally figured it out. We figured out not something about money. We figured out something about humanity that we finally needed. We needed something. And all of a sudden, all hell's breaking loose. We find Bitcoin and the next thing up, we, de- we, we literally solve the decentralization of messaging each other in public, aka social media, with the Nostra protocol. What's next, right? There's a lot of problems that are being solved, but they have to be solved by open source. So not only is it, you know, that I want my kids to be learning about Bitcoin. I want them to be learning about the failure of the fiat system. I want them to understand what open source software is and what outside of Bitcoin and the fiat world, what problems does that solve? And why is it that open source solves more problems than people like Mark Zuckerberg who continually create brand new problems to solve? These are all things to be taken into consideration when talking to children about the future, right? I try not to think that I'm indoctrinating them, but I may be completely fooling myself. So the reason I bring you this piece is because indoctrination is not good. Are we indoctrinating or are we educating? Or are we simply just saying, look, there's this new thing. You should probably know about it. You're going to have to figure that one out for yourself, but it's time to run the numbers. I spent a lot of money on gas driving to and from Colorado. Uh, because the, that drive, by the way, from where I live in southeastern Washington State to southwest uh, southwestern Was- uh, Colorado, that's a 16-and-a-half-hour drive, and that's just if you're doing nothing but driving, not stopping for gas, bathroom breaks, no, no, no. That makes it 18 hours, which I did in one shot, and I may never do that again. <laughs> that was a hard drive and very, very expensive. Why? Because it's summer driving season and that means higher gas prices. We got West Texas Intermediate 3% to the upside today on the futures, cnbc.com, $72 a barrel. Brent North Sea is up only 0.67% to 7676. Ooh, 1970, 1776. Uh, natural gas is, however, down one and a third to $2.67 a thousand. And gasoline is up two and a half points, as you might imagine, because we're coming into summer driving season. Uh, $2.52 a gallon is what you're seeing there. Gold just being slapped around like a petty little street urchin. $1,927 an ounce after a 0.11% decrease in price today. Silver is up, however, one and a third. Platinum is up just over 1%. Copper is down 0.7%. Palladium is up two and a half points. Lumber is up 0.9. Oh no, hold on for a second. Something's going on with my mouse. There we go. Uh, lumber is up 0.09%. Wheat is up five full percentage points, ladies and gentlemen. Everything's almost everything's in the green. The only losers we got is coffee down 1.21%. Cotton is down 1.4%. 
and chocolate is down 1.18%. However, everything else is in the green. I got live cattle down 0.69%, but lean hogs are up just under four full percent. Feeder cattle are down 0.5. The Dow is down a third of a point. S&P is down a quarter of a point. NASDAQ is down almost nothing, 0.02%. S&P is down three quarters of a point. Real money kind of having some struggles, $30,500 or thereabouts. That is after 331,000 BTC have been sent around the horn. We got an average transaction value of 0.71 BTC. Median transaction value is 93 bucks. Block times are low, nine and a half minutes. I got 0.13 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 21 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period with a 12.73% rise in hash rate. We're up to 383.7 exahashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator is Doge, 6.7 United States pennies. I got a $592.6 billion market capitalization, and that is a, god dang, man, 4.65% of gold's entire market cap. And you can, if you so choose, purchase 16.1 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,420,586.87 of, and 5,422 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $165.5 million, being run over 16,326 nodes that we can see with 69,836 payment channels that we know about. And 63.5% of all of the Lightning Network is being run over Tor. Mempool is only a 108 blocks deep. Interesting. Um, we've got a high priority fee of 12 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priority is only 9 Satoshis per, per V-byte. And everything under 2.21 Satoshis per V-byte is being purged out of mempools around the world. Uh, what's the hash? I'm going to check their hash rate. Uh, mempool.space ha- is signaling hash rate of 370.9 exahashes per second. So there's some differences there. And I am completely out of the charts on Fountain. And that's what happens every time I go away for vacation, which is one of the reasons why I desperately want to be able to take a laptop with me and start recording remotely in the mornings, even though it is my vacation. I just don't like coming back to the fact that I'm not even in the top 50, much less the top 10. So once again, I'm asking you to help me get back to reclaim my spot in the top 10. And it's going to be a grueling, grueling fight, ladies and gentlemen, But with people like Acerus underscore BTC saying Texas Slim is the real deal for 2,718 sats, I I might just be able to claw my way back to the top 10. By the way, I did put out some uh, reruns while I was gone, but, you know, not for every single day while I was gone. But this one is the last one that I put out, which was a rerun of my first episode interviewing Texas Slim my friend from and creator of the Beef Initiative. Uh, Jory X McKee with 2001 Sat says, the irony is that the globalists are carefully reducing actual cattle while simultaneously turning people into herd animals in order to fully control them. They don't seem to care if a small percentage of people notice and complain. I sure hope, quote, Bitcoin fixes this, end quote. Me too, dude. Dubrovko with a thousand sats says, if the people pushing these policies wanted to pretend that they were lizard people that want a large proportion or portion of our population to die so that we are more manageable, they're doing a great impression. Jim Leahy with 420 says scary shit, but I'm glad there are people like Texas Slim to help America and our communities. Thanks for having him on. Always a good show. Thank you, dude. God's Death with 370 says thank you, sir. No, thank you. And Guy Smiley with 100 says Bitcoin and beef. Yes, it's the tastiest money you'll see. That's going to do it for the weather report.
Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. No Bullshit Bitcoin starts us off with Zap.Stream, a Noster native streaming service with sats. Sweet. I've been hearing a lot about this since I was on vacation or while I was on vacation. Uh, but, you know, having an iPhone is not exactly like having enough real estate, you know, visually to be able to go and figure stuff out. So let's figure out what no BS or yeah, no BS Bitcoin.com has to say about this one quote. This is a very simple pass through streaming provider. No transcoding. Maybe in the future we can do this wrote Kieran quote, the stream provider will publish your Nostra streaming event when you start pushing your stream and also set it to end once you're done. Current fee rate is 21 Satoshis per minute, and that is subject to change. So how to get started? Visit zap.stream. Click stream. (laughs) Top up your balance. You can zap the platform to do so. Copy your stream URL and add it to your stream server settings in OBS. Copy your stream key and add that into OBS as well in your stream settings. Click Start Streaming in OBS, and that's it. You're live. Revisit zap.stream and click on the stream button again to add a title, description, etc. Hit Save. UX improvements coming as this is not ideal yet. Hope to see more people stream chilling on Noster. Okay. So what they say OBS. What the hell's OBS? OBS is an open source video kind of production software uh, platform and people use it for streaming to, you know, Twitch and all kinds of stuff. I've used it before. I've got it on my machine. I'm not a master at it, but that's what they're talking about when the OBS it's free and open source. Go type in to what, if you're interested in possibly, you, you know, streaming over Noster or whatever, and, or, just starting to stream for anything, then go get OBS. Just type it into Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever the hell your search engine is. And you'll find, or type in OBS. And if you don't get something that looks like something that's going to be able to, you know, do streaming, type in OBS streaming into your favorite search browser. And I guarantee it'll be number one or two in the list. It's free. Download it. Learn how to use it. And stream it to Noster because that's what Zap.stream does. It allows you to stream to Noster. I've been waiting for this. In fact, I was like going, I was just about to leave for vacation and I was like, when the hell are we going to start? We have Noster nests and those are great. I love those. When streaming. Well, now you've got it with Zap.stream. Again, that is Zap.stream. One more time for those not listening, you want to stream on Noster? Use zap.stream. Now I'm going to piss everybody in the room off right now. How ordinals, inscriptions, will drive adoption of Bitcoin's Lightning Network. Are you ready? Are you ready? Uh, Let's pause here for me to make sure that everybody understands that I'm not going to apologize to Udi Wertheimer. I'm not going to apologize to Eric Wall for directly calling them out as fucking scammers on Noster. I got some feedback. I did I did that. I I told Udi directly, fuck off scammer. And his response was to of course, quote note it or whatever and say, "Oh, I thought Noster was supposed to be nice. I'm nice. I'm not going to be nice to fucking scammers." Not Udi, not Eric Wall. I'm not going to deal with the hubris of bullshit from these two individuals who stated on stage at Bitcoin Miami that they broke Bitcoin because nothing got broke. They affected nothing. They had no say about anything. That hubris, I will call it out every single time. I will, I, while I will apologize to Walker and Carla for saying some shitty about them, I am never going to say I'm sorry to Udi Wertheimer or Eric Wall. They can go fuck themselves. Now, let's get on with this one. From Bitcoin Magazine, written by Jesse Schrader. For years, you could basically do two things on the Bitcoin network. You could save BTC or you could spend it. Then, 
A late 2021 privacy upgrade had the unintended consequence of allowing data storage on the Bitcoin blockchain resulting in NFT-like inscriptions and BRC20 tokens, both applying ordinal theory for asset tracking. I remind you that as far as I know, ordinal tracking is still broken. So there's that. Continuing, the popularity of NFT-like ordinal inscriptions and the experimental BRC20 token standard has driven up transaction costs across the Bitcoin network. The frothy demand for stamping limited block space with new data pushed transaction costs so high that in May of 2023, Binance twice had to pause BTC withdrawals, a risky and undesirable step for a global exchange. To help manage the transaction cost, Binance announced that it would start using the Lightning Network, a decentralized layer two network designed for fast transactions, bypassing the underlying Bitcoin blockchain to process BTC withdrawals. Actually, they should just say transfers, but whatever. While some argue that Bitcoin should stick to being digital gold, I don't see it that way. As a store of value, Bitcoin will continue to provide a trustless alternative to central banking. Other uses of its immutable blockchain don't diminish this function. On the contrary, emergent uses of the Bitcoin blockchain will drive more efficient use of the limited block space, leading to broad adoption of Lightning Network as a scaling solution for Bitcoin as a global currency. The Lightning Network's growth will provide a trustless alternative to centralized payment processors expanding Bitcoin's utility. The BRC20 token standard is extremely new, created in March of 2023. If its name sounds familiar, that's because it's somewhat akin to ERC20 tokens such as Shiba Inu and MakerDAO that run atop the shitcoin number one network. I'm ne- I just don't want to say the name. Whereas Bitcoin has traditionally been about storing and transmitting value, BRC20s allow for other assets to be, quote, minted in an ordinal inscription. Now, a slew of BRC20s have popped up for trading and speculation, many in the form of meme tokens from pizza to meme. As of June 26, 2023, the market cap for BRC20 tokens was over $260 million, according to CoinGecko. But all this minting is driving Bitcoin transaction costs higher. That's not necessarily bad for Bitcoin miners who earn BTC by processing transactions. Coindesk reported in early May of 2023 that some BTC miners were earning more by collecting transaction fees than were created by creating new BTC. That's quite a lot, considering each block reward currently nets miners 6.25 BTC, worth roughly $188,000 at the time of writing. As for whether this is good for users, that's debatable. The average Bitcoin transaction fee recently hit a two-year high, peaking at $30.91 United States dollars on May the 8th, 2023, despite a bear market. Those abstaining from BRC20s are likely grumbling about increased fees. On the other hand, the introduction of the BRC20 token standard has inspired deeper conversations about network scaling for Bitcoin. At the moment, BRC20s lack some of the utility of their ERC20 tokens, or cousins. They don't, for instance, use smart contracts. And their utility is mostly the same as PFP NFTs, leading many to argue that they're not worth the cost. It remains to be seen whether the demand for Bitcoin-based tokens is sustainable or whether such activity will get redirected to other more permissive and centralized networks. In one scenario, higher fees could force Bitcoin's traditional users away from the network. This is unlikely. Bitcoin's unchanging and conservative monetary policy remains the primary attraction. The network has no real competition in this regard as a hedge to monetary debasement, but assuming ordinal inscriptions and BRC20 tokens show the same staying power as meme coins and NFTs on other networks, Shiba Inu, remember, has a market cap of $5 billion with a B dollars, and Bored Apes are virtually a household name, they will keep driving transaction fees above historical averages. This could have long-term impacts on Bitcoin users. In particular, higher transaction costs create a demand for more efficient transactions. While some of this can be done at a protocol level, much of it can come from scaling technologies on a second layer. Enter the Lightning Network, which batches transactions via long-term smart contracts and uses Bitcoin's underlying security to allow fast and cheap payments. 
Lightning Network fees are extremely modest compared to on-chain counterparts. While the fees do fluctuate, the overall network fees have not increased as a result of BRC20s or inscriptions. The network currently charges fees to reward network node operators. According to data available via Amboss's Bitcoin Lightning Network Analytics platform, the median fee remains 0.002%. Compare that to a traditional payment network, which charges 2 to 3% of the payment amount every time you swipe your credit card. The Bitcoin community is currently subsidizing the creation of the payment network, driving lightning fees extremely low. Even with increased demand over time, sustainable fee rates for lightning should grow to around 0.03% based on less generous operator behavior. The combination of Bitcoin monetary policy and lightning's transaction network is a potent one. Bitcoin has long presented itself as an alternative to a broken central banking system, But through competitive uses of its unforgivingly tight blockchain, the efficiency gained through Lightning transactions is more prescient than ever. Though the Lightning Network has been years in the making, it is maturing at the perfect time, ready to enable billions of transactions across the network and become the global de facto payment processor. Again, that article was written by Jesse Schrader for Bitcoin Magazine. Now, a few words here. BRC20s, ordinals, inscriptions are all junk. The whole thing is junk. Ordinals, as far as I can tell, the protocol is actually still broken. I, I don't, I, nobody said anything about anybody fixing it, right? We know it broke. We, we know how it broke. I haven't heard a single word, a single whisper, not even a quivering of lips about it being fixed. So the whole thing right there makes it something that's just untenable. Why you would use it, I don't know. But let's say Ordinals wasn't broken and that it didn't break and we didn't even have to fix it, that it was rock solid, that it can't break. What we're using it for right now is just complete garbage. But that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody somewhere is not going to figure out something actually fucking useful to do with it. I don't know what that would be. Okay, I'm not, I I I just I want to gear my what's left of my three neurons in my head to thinking about other things. I I don't really care. However, that doesn't mean that somebody else, most likely many other people that it doesn't mean that they don't care. I'll guarantee you right now at this moment there are several people who give more than two shits about what's going on and what could actually be done. And if something that if something comes out that can be quote unquote minted on the Bitcoin blockchain that makes sense, like maybe, I don't know, some type of life insurance policy or something. I don't know. Just don't, you know, don't hate me for it. I'm just saying, let's say something with actual real world utility comes out and it happens to be able to be quote unquote minted through ordinal theory and inscriptions on Bitcoin. Well, if it's really, if it has high utility, then people are going to use it and that will drive up transaction fees. So from that standpoint, we're talking about ordinals actually being, I don't know, potentially useful and not stupid not minting rocks and apes and other wildlife and natural items. It's all bullshit right now. But if it was useful, if there was a utility, that utility will be used and that will continue to drive Bitcoin transaction prices on main chain transactions up. And what that will do, as this guy's talk, Jesse Schrader's talking about, is it will force layer two technologies to become more prevalent, more useful, more ubiquitous. I think that's actually good. I just don't like the way it's happening right now, but I don't get to make, I don't get to save Bitcoin. I don't get to, you know, save the chain. I don't get to be, you know, Eric Wall and Udi Wertheimer who comes in and breaks Bitcoin or saves Bitcoin or, or you see what I'm saying? See, I, I, I don't have that hubris. 
I, I, I don't make that kind of hyperbole. If I do, I don't make it known publicly, but I, I just don't. Even in my, per- I know I'm a pleb, right? But again, imagine something actually useful as being minted on Bitcoin. Of course, you'll ask, why can't that be minted on layer two? Aha! It's driving you to think more about layer two. And problems that occur with that kind of shit happening on layer two will drive what? Layer three. We want this. We want this. But we also want actual utility. Okay? Actual utility. Now, this particular article talked about Binance halting withdrawals. I guess it's happened again. I don't know. Let's find out. Tim Hackey writing for Decrypt. Binance halts deposits and withdrawals on 10 multi-chain bridged tokens. So it looks like Binance is just falling apart, honestly. Crypto exchange Binance today announced that it is ceasing all deposits and withdrawals for the 10 multi-chain bridged tokens that were previously part of a deposit suspension by the exchange after certain transactions on the multi-chain multi-protocol froze in May. The 10 tokens are bridged to Binance chain, Ethereum, Shitcoin One, Avalanche, and Phantom. Users can still withdraw via other networks supported by the exchange. The mysterious problem afflicting multi-chain's cross-chain bridge began back in late spring after users flooded multi-chain's telegram, complaining that certain pending transfers were stuck. At the time, rumors swirled that Chinese authorities had arrested several multi-chain executives, including its chief executive officer, Zhao Jun. The protocol later confirmed on Twitter that its CEO was missing and that he had sole access to the blighted servers responsible for the delays. What happened to Zhao Jun remains a mystery, but Bobby, the founder of Web3 Knowledge Graph Protocol OxScope, or OXScope, tweeted on June the 5th that multi-chain had partially resumed operations, a possible sign that the CEO was unjailed. A lot of negative press has surrounded cross-chain bridges due to their perceived vulnerabilities. Shitcoin number one co-founder Vitalik Buterin is one of a number of prominent crypto figures who have cautioned against relying on cross-chain bridges. In a blog post this year, Buterin advised people to try to minimize how much you rely on bridges at all, adding that crypto users should hold assets on the chain where they originate. Cross-chain bridges have also become a common target for crypto hackers, including multi-chain protocol. In early 2022, $3 million was drained from multi-chain by multiple hackers. A white hat hacker later returned $900,000 of it. Barely two months later, Axie Infinity developer Sky Mavis was the target of one of the largest hacks of all time when attackers drained $622 million from the bridge connecting Sky Mavis's custom Ronin sidechain to shitcoin number one or Ethereum. In the wake of the attack, Binance led a $150 million funding round to reimburse victims. Contributors, including Animoca, the company behind the popular crypto game The Sandbox, and tech venture capital firm A16Z. Good, they deserved every part of that. Another Binance-affiliated entity was the target of a colossal bridge hack months later. In October, attackers were able to steal $100 million in cryptocurrencies from the cross-chain bridge between BNB Beacon Chain, BEP2, and BNB Smart Chain, BEP20, or BSC, according to an official post. Clearly, the security of cross-chain bridges is one of the industry's top priorities as crypto continues to grow. Yeah, so being a cross-chain bridge is basically just trading what and shit coin for another shit coin at one point or another. Maybe they get smart and fold it and, you know, just trade it for Bitcoin, whatever. But honestly, the cross-chain bridge thing is money transmission when you get right down to it. That's going to be a focus of Elizabeth Warren and the SEC and the rest of the gaggle of polluted mind individuals that we have in the United States and the European Union. You you can just bet on it. But maybe before they even get to figuring out what's going on here with these cross-chain bridges, 
maybe it'll just crumble all by itself. Who knows? But Binance is basically in the center of all this. Right now, there's so much pressure on Binance. I would get off. You should always have your shit off of the exchange. Okay? Always, 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 always. No matter if it's Binance, if it's Kraken, if it's Swan, if it's River. If I mean, some of those are not exchanges, but you get my drift. It's not your not your custody. If it's not in your custody, it's hosed. Just assume that it's hosed if it's not in your custody. But there's so much pressure on just Binance right now with the lawsuits, with the the continual halting of deposits and withdrawals of USD, Bitcoin, whatever. And now we've got 10 cross-chain bridge tokens being like, you know, kind of basically in limbo for Binance. At this point, This is a failure of customer service across the board. It's because of other items, the fact that they're getting sued and there's other problems internally that are larger than just customer service. But from a customer facing situation, this is just one failure of service after another failure of service from the same damn company. It's not going to take long for people to jump ship. So with all these problems, I fully expect Binance to completely fail. And it's not like I'm begging for it. I'm not going to rah-rah it. I mean, Binance, it's going to be a big deal if they fail. And it's going to be a big deal if you're holding Bitcoin. But some things are inevitable. And Binance going down, in my opinion, is inevitable. If you've got anything on on Binance, you need to get it off. And you need to get it off now. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. But while I was recording, uh, it, w- it was weird. It was like uh, Texas Slim was listening to me because he just called me on the phone and I wasn't able to answer because I was recording. But I'll go ahead and do this joke for you from Dad Says Jokes. A woman goes to the butchers and says, I'd like an oxtail, please. Certainly, replies the butcher. Once upon a time, there was an ox. Good meat-based joke never hurt anything, so I'm going to go ahead and call this one right now as my first episode back from vacation in 2023. Please remember, help me get back into the top 10. I understand that it's going to take us a while, but I'm going to work with you. If you'll work with me, I'll work with you. I'll try to figure out ways to give you, get you better content I'm still in construction phase of the Black Soldier Fly episode, all right? It's, that one might, could be like, you know, a little bit more dicey because I haven't worked with Black Soldier Fly in five years, five years, something like that. But there's a lot of stuff that I can pull together. It's going to be a good episode. It's going to be filled with value. And people have been asking me about Black Soldier Fly and why Black Soldier Fly. I got an episode coming up. I guarantee it'll be worth it. Please help me get back into the top 10 so that even more people can hear about how they can get rid of almost all of their kitchen waste uh, by using this larva that can then feed chickens. We'll get into all of that later, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.